The Gospel of John, starting in chapter 20. It begins, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So we know it's Sunday. Sunday starts on what we would call Saturday night. So it was Sunday at 9 p.m. on Saturday. It was Sunday at midnight, Saturday night. It was still Sunday when... um, Mary came to the tomb early when it was still dark. The sun had not come up yet. And she saw that he was not there. So he had risen sometime previous to that. Um, You know, again, on Sunday, which with our modern days is Saturday night. So just to be clear about that, he did rise on a Sunday. We also know that that was the Feast of First Fruits that year. Um... Uh, however, not the way most Jews today reckon it, because there was a uh, disagreement between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were in charge. They were the high priests. And so they reckoned it in the biblical way. The Pharisees, the, the, the law of Moses is a little vague, and the Pharisees interpreted it a different way. Once Rome fell, uh, excuse me, once Rome felled Jerusalem, um, the the Sadducees were no more. The Pharisees' way of thinking took over, and so rabbinical Judaism today stems from the Pharisees, and so they changed the understanding of Feast of First Fruits. Uh, but if you just read it the way I read it, it was actually quite simple to me when the Lord began speaking to me about it. He started teaching me about Feast of First Fruits, and I looked it up to see what it was, because I was unfamiliar a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, and, excuse me, one and a half years ago, and um, and I was like, oh, that's today. It, it's, to me, it was a simple reading. It's the normal Sabbath that falls during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But you could also read it like it was the first or last a high holy Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's the one of those is the way the Pharisees and, and most modern Jews today reckon it. However, there's a group called the Karaites that still reckon these things. The biblical, what I would say, what I would argue is the biblical way. And to me, I'm quite certain of this because the Lord, the way the Lord revealed it to me, it was, uh, you know, I didn't, he just started teaching to me about something I didn't know anything about out of nowhere. So it's quite clear to me. And when I read it, it was simple. I actually didn't really find out this was controversial until about a year later when the next time the holiday came around, I started looking more into it and realizing that other people looked at it differently. Or I think I realized that for Feast of First Fruits, but it's such a minor holiday that not a lot of people argue about it. Now, if you, when you realize Jesus was uh, risen from the dead on that holiday, that makes it not so minor. Uh, since most people don't reckon it the biblical way, they don't realize that's when Jesus uh, was resurrected. And so, you know, they bring in other cultish things. And, um, and instead of recognizing God set up the holiday, and then he fulfilled the holiday through Jesus's resurrection. Uh, But the next year I realized, wait a minute, Shavuot or Pentecost, the date of that holiday is based on Feast of First Fruits. So that makes it 
a lot more bigger <laughs> controversial uh, thing. So anyways, I, I'm sure I talked about that in the spring and I'll, I'll leave that there. And uh, just as a reminder, all the uh, biblical holidays, or, or excuse me, all the holidays of the, of the Law of Moses are contained within, they're, they're all summarized in Leviticus 23. So you can read that for yourself, see what you think. And uh, we'll move on in John. So the way John remembers this and writes it here is that Mary ran to Peter and John and said, they have taken Jesus's body. We don't know where he is. And so Peter and John ran immediately to the tomb. I love that John points out that he ran faster than Peter, <laughs> to, that he got to the tomb first. Uh, but then he was stooping to look in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Peter also came following him, and he did go right in. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, meaning John, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. So they don't know what's going on because they, they hadn't understood when Jesus told them multiple times what was going to happen. Uh, but now he's not in his tomb. This is very confusing. Mary standing outside of the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thought he was a gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Okay, so John gives us a little more detailed description of how these events went uh, as I was I didn't remember that and when I was first reading I was thinking that that he was glossing over the fact that that Jesus first appeared to Mary but um but but apparently Mary first saw the empty tomb then went back gone saw John and Peter John and Peter went to the empty tomb then they went back and then Jesus appeared to Mary and uh and then she you know goes back and tells them and so then it's evening on that day, the first day of the week, so it's evening of Sunday, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, so they're scared of the Jews, so they're, you know, they got the door uh, tightly shut, all of a sudden Jesus appears in their room and says to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his feet. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as with, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So he's telling them that he, they are now stepping into the place that he was assigned. They're taking up position. He's now multiplied himself by 11. Um, you know, he says, I was sent by the Father, and now I am sending you. And he breathes on them. Remember when God breathed on Adam, giving him life? It's putting his spiritual life into the, you know, the, the mud or the carnal man. Well, now Jesus is, is it's, it's going to happen a little later on Shavuot. Um, but, but he's signifying what he's going to do here. He's breathing on them, this life of God, and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that might be the verse that the Lord showed me. I got really excited about it. Um, maybe a day before he actually gave this to me. Um, and I didn't remember that, that it was on a mission trip and that, that everything's just got more and more amazing that entire week. And it wasn't until I looked back at my journal sometime later, oh, wow, God told me this right before he did it. And I was excited when I received the word at the time. And then... Things got much more amazing after that, so I'd kind of forgotten. He told me what he was going to do before he did it. Uh, 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Do you see he's, he's telling them you are being elevated into the position of a mature son of God? A son of God capable of forgiving sins or retaining sins that should get our attention and kind of fill us with awe and humility before the throne of God that we would be called to mature into such a position that we would have the ability of judgment on behalf of our Father, over those he sets before us. That should fill us with awe and humility, make us eager to continue to seek him, to grow up in him. For one, that we grow into this position, and two, that we are filled with humility and seeking every word from his mouth, that we never step out of bounds out of the will of God, that we only do and say what he's doing and saying. So Thomas wasn't there. And so the other disciples start telling him about all this, that they've seen the Lord. And he says, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And apparently it was eight days later that Thomas was with him. The disciples were again inside. Thomas is there and Jesus came. The doors having been shut and stood in their midst again. So again, John's pointing out, he's not having to use doors anymore. I don't know if he walked through the wall or if he just transported, teleported, whatever word you want to use, into the room. He's just all of a sudden there and says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God, Jesus says, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. 
So he says there's there's a greater blessing in living by faith, believing the word out of his mouth, not having had to see with your eyes. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John's telling us why he wrote the gospel, so that you will know what Jesus did. He said, there's many more miracles than I can possibly write down. But I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. He is the way God has sent for you to come into the life of God, to be a son of God, that you will have life in his name, in his way, in him, that you will have a new life. And I always find it odd that he puts that there because it seems like an ending to the book, but there's one more chapter. So then we go to 21. So some time has passed and Jesus manifests himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias in this way. Simon, Peter, and Thomas, and Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, are all in Galilee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat that night, and they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side, hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Peter went up and drew the net to land full to the land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So you see, Jesus had done something similar at the beginning of his ministry in order to capture the faith of these fishermen. And so now he's doing the same thing at the end of his ministry on earth for them to recognize the, the same thing but with new eyes that if they fought, if they go on their own way they fish all night and get nothing but if they go his way obey him in his direction they catch 153 fish more fish than they could even believe it was miraculous when they do their work according to his way following him it produces uh, an impossible, miraculous uh, haul. And this is a reminder that he has said, I will make you fishers of men, that you will bring others into the kingdom. You know, it appears to me Jesus looks very different after he's resurrected because they're always confused about who he is. Uh, Starting in 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Well, if he looked the same, they wouldn't have to question who he is, right? He tells me he must have looked differently. I could be wrong in that, but otherwise it's just I don't understand. There's multiple occasions when people just don't recognize him. Jesus came, it seems like almost every time they don't recognize him. There's Mary at the tomb, there's uh, the road to Emmaus, uh, there's this time. Um seemed like other than him popping into the room with them, they pretty much didn't recognize him every other time. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So after breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I don't really get into Greek and Hebrew roots very much. Um, the standard explanation I've always heard for, the, for this is that in Greek, there's multiple words for love. And we miss something in the translation that when Jesus is saying love, he's talking about uh, agape love of, of uh, you know, a deep spiritual love and that Jesus uh, Peter's answering in more of like a brotherly love yes yes I love you I think that's Phil Philio like Philadelphia Philio um and so and then when Jesus answers the last time do you love me he's saying oh so you just Philio love me like brotherly love and he says to him Lord you know all things you know I do love you with this agape love and Jesus says, tend my sheep. Um, I've heard that multiple times, so I assume it's true. Um, it, which certainly opens up a little bit more of this conversation. However, either way, it, it opens a question of how deep is your love? Um, are, are you willing to lay down your life for my purposes? He, Jesus is telling him, look, I'm putting you in charge here. You're going to be the shepherd now when I'm not around. Tend my sheep. It's going to take tremendous love on your part in order to lay your life down for these others. Are you willing to do this for me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. And so implied as he will tend the sheep. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So he's, he's explaining. Peter, of course, is going to be crucified just like Jesus was. Peter insisted that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And so he was crucified upside down instead. I mean, he basically asked to be crucified upside down, and they did it. And um, and so he says, Jesus is telling him, you are, you are going to follow me even to the point of the cross. It's when you're going to be older. Um, but 
you know, that this, this is what you're called to and, and you will live this life. A pretty amazing turnaround for Peter, who I think I shared this a few days ago, but this was astounding to me when I was first coming to the Lord that Peter and these others who ran away scared from Jesus when he was being, uh, you know, captured, tried, executed, they were nowhere to be found other than John. And then, you know, Peter followed but denied him. And then something changed that make them all willingly go to their deaths. And so quite clearly to me then and quite clearly to me now, um, the God moved in their lives. And so Peter, but this all hasn't happened to Peter yet. <laughs> it's still all theoretical. The Holy Spirit has not yet been given. That's now coming very soon, but it has not happened yet. And even then, there's a, a life, a process that has to be worked out in him until he's ready for this. If he had been called to the cross at that moment, he probably would have done anything he could to get out of it. But over the years and decades ahead, the Lord matured him and prepared him to glorify God with his very life. But at this point, he doesn't understand it. He looks at John and he says, what about him? At 20, I'll read it. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So in other words, it's not your business. You live the life you're called to. He's going to live the life he's called to. They're not the same. They're, they're the same as, as far as being life in me, but each one has a, a different calling, a different purpose. Um, 23, Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So there's this rumor, and John certainly was, you know, Again, this gives more credence in my mind to the fact that John wrote this very late in life. And uh, they'd probably seen multiple of the original disciples going to their death at that point. It is maybe implied here that this is after Peter had been executed. And, um, and then, but John's saying, look, I'm, I'm probably going to die. Like, God, Jesus, Jesus did not tell me I wasn't going to die. This is what he said. And this rumor has started from this. And so, um, you know, John was probably aware when he wrote this, I am going to die. I just, when they tried to execute me, it didn't work. That doesn't mean I'm not going to die naturally. 24. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus did many miracles, probably spoke many wise parables and teachings. Yet we have enough. We have enough to enter into this life, to his life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be continually taught by Him as we seek Him and are transformed into Him, into this life 
we are able to be taught all things, all wisdom, all love, all peace, all joy, the very life of the kingdom and the family of God. And that is it for the book of John. The Lord bless you.